0: We're studying the Gospel of Mark. Uh, the word "gospel" is—it's uh, actually a trans—it's a German transliteration of a Greek word. Is what it what it actually is. The Greek word actually was a uh, had political uh, ramifications. It was really a political statement. Think of a press release or a um, a uh, state of the address, state of, state of the Union address. That's kind of the the vein it was in, but it carried with it whenever somebody came into a town and they pronounced the Iangelion, that was the Greek word. Whenever they would pronounce that, uh, the people knew that they were about to hear a victory announcement. Something good had happened, at least in the kingdom. The the king, the Caesar, had won some military victory. And uh, it was a... That's why in, in some of your translations, depending on the translation you use, instead of the word gospel, it's translated good news. And so Mark writes a biography about Jesus, a guy that he knows uh, because of Peter, who walked around with Jesus for three years, and Mark and Peter are buddies. And so Mark decides he's going to write a biography about Jesus, and the very first line in that biography is, he says, it's a, it's the good news, it's the eangelion, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here's the question, What is the good news? What's so good about the news about Jesus? And this is what we're learning. Jesus Christ is the king of kings. He's the king of kings. He's the the name above every name. He's the Lord of lords. He is the ultimate authority. He has sovereignty over every sphere. And all this is good news because Jesus has come and he has rendered powerless death, disease, and the devil. He's rendered it powerless and it may feel like sometimes in your life that darkness has the edge that darkness is winning the day it may feel like that you're going to be eaten up by the darkness but this is what the death resurrection and Jesus of uh, uh, the death burial and resurrection of Jesus tells us that death does not have the final say Now good news and so he's the king of kings he's got power over all things and he's come to establish a kingdom and this is a kingdom. It's not just some heavenly place in the future. It's also like a, it's a government. It's an order of life. And this is what Jesus says about his kingdom. It's unshakable. It's unshakable. It's, a, it's built on a solid rock foundation. And so the storm's going to come. The, the attack from the enemy's going to come. The uncertainty's going to come. The doubt's going to come. But if you are established in this kingdom, your house will never crumble. Because it's built on Christ. And here's the good news about the kingdom. Jesus has invited every single man, woman, and child to be a citizen, a full citizen of that kingdom. All of you have been invited to be part of this. So, this is what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. What does it look like? What are the qualifications? What are the characteristics of being a citizen in the kingdom of God? Today, we're going to attempt to answer two questions, and these seem to be unrelated, but I think they're very, very much related. Number one, what is the eternal fate of children who pass away? So that's the first question we're going to try to answer. And then off of that answer, we're going to try to answer this question. What does that mean about our access to the kingdom of God? Let's all stand together. We're going to read Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. Let's pray. Father, thank you. For today. Thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you for your word. Lord, we've all come together in agreement. Uh, Lord, we've got our eyes closed, our head bowed. Uh, we sing songs to you. We lift up your name because we acknowledge that you are the King of Kings. And we all come today in need. We know that we can't nav- not navigate this world. We can't do the things that we need to do. Lord, we, we can't really live life without you. And so we long for more of you today. I pray. Holy Spirit, that you'll come, and you'll have your way in me, that you'll have your way in this place. Lord, that um, the word that's spoken today, it's your word. It's not mine. I'm not that smart. I'm a sinner, just like everybody else in this room. So they need a word from you. So Holy Spirit, please speak through me, and I pray that these words fall on fertile soil. Lord, I pray that ears are open and eyes are open and hearts are receptive to your truth, that that life might come out of this day. Lord, we love you, and we thank you. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, pray a prayer or something like this. Father, speak to me. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. In Mark chapter 10, verse 13, what we see, people bringing little children to Jesus. And so we've got some parents, and uh, they're bringing their little children. Now, that that little that word little children is one word in the Greek, but it's a word that's used for the youngest type of a child. So we're talking about infants, toddlers, and just, you know, kids that are barely walking, little children. That's what we're talking about today. And uh, you'll remember previously, we've talked about the status of children in this culture. They didn't really have much weight uh, because children, they often died before the time that they were five years old. Uh, it, the mortality rate for children was very, very high. And so people, in a lot of ways, they, they treated children as if they were disposable. Uh, they didn 't get too attached to to little kids, not like we do, you know we pinch the cheeks and we just say, "Oh, how cute, and we just love on them uh, they They kind of held kids at arm 's length because you couldn 't get too attached you didn 't know if they were going to be here tomorrow you couldn 't invest too much in them because you didn't know how much how much longer they would last and uh that 's kind of the idea you know, the Jewish bar mitzvah, yeah, part of that that whole ceremony. The idea behind the whole ceremony is that this person, this young person has reached adulthood and now we can start really investing in them. It, it's almost like they're not a full person until they reach that. This was the Jewish way of thinking. Uh, so much so that if uh, a, a, a family had a child, had a baby that was deformed or diseased in some way, or let's say that they wanted a boy and they got a girl, then they would oftentimes put this baby in a clay pot and they'd take this pot out into an empty field and they would allow this baby just to lay there in the pot and die from exposure to starvation. And so this was kind of the status, the social status of children in this day. And so what we see, we see these parents, and they've got these little babies, and they're bringing these babies to Jesus, and they want Jesus to touch the babies. Because they see, they don't understand the full picture yet, but they see there's power in this man. And just being in proximity of this man, having this man place his hands on a child, there's a blessing there. And so maybe if, if Jesus, this, this man who's a special man, he's unlike anything we've ever seen before, if he can put his hands on these babies, then maybe these babies will, will last to adulthood. Maybe it'll give them a better chance to survive. And so that's what we see. They're bringing the babies to Jesus. They're asking for a blessing, and they're desperate for a touch from Jesus. They're desperate. I wish that we saw a little more desperation in parents today that they might their kids might have a touch from Jesus don't you I wish we cuz I see parents are desperate for a lot of things for their kids and it makes sense I get it pa- parents are desperate for their kids to make the sports team or they're desperate for their kids to get good grades and get a good ACT score so they can get scholarships and they can go to college or they're desperate for their kids some 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 parents are desperate for their kids to be popular because they weren't popular in high school, and they'd love for their daughter to be the homecoming queen. They'd love for their, uh, their son to be the star you know, quarterback. So they're desperate for their kids to be popular. I see a whole lot of desperation in parents for the things of this world. I don't see as many parents desperate for their kids to have a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And so the, the kids, they'll get the sports lessons, and they'll get the tutoring, and they'll get the fancy dress or the nice shoes so that they can get on the team or so that they can get the scholarship or so that they can be the homecoming king. They'll get all those things, but I don't see parents getting their kids to church as often as they should. I don't see parents getting the Bible off the shelf and opening with their family and reading it together as a family. I don't see parents getting on their knees as much as they should and praying for their kids that their kids might have an encounter with Jesus Christ that will change their life. Parents, it's our job to be desperate for our kids to meet Jesus. It's our job. As Bible-believing, Jesus-loving parents, it's our job to do whatever we can to continually and constantly put our kids in proximity to where Jesus may be, that Jesus might reach out his hand and put a touch from his eternal loving hands on those kids and that their world will be forever changed. These parents are desperate for a touch from Jesus because it's life or death. You know, they, they can't go to urgent care. They don't have a clerk Regional. They don't have any of that. They don't have Tylenol that they go to Walmart, Walmart and buy. They don't understand, you know, disease and germs and all that stuff. And so they come to Jesus because this, this is their best shot of making sure that their baby can survive to, child, to, to adulthood. How much more should we be desperate that our kids have an encounter with jesus because this isn't just life or death this is eternal life or death it's important it's more important than their education it's more important than their sports team it's more important than their social life it's their eternal life so these parents are desperate and what we see are the disciples rebuking the parents and running the kids off because in their mind You know, their culture has taught them, you can't invest too much in these little kids. They might not be here tomorrow. And Jesus is a very important person. He's got a whole lot to do. And so Jesus doesn't really have time to mess around with these kids. And so they run them off. Look what Jesus does, verse 14. When Jesus saw it, he saw the parents walking away with their kids. The parents have their their head hanging low. They're upset. They're sad. Jesus sees it, and he was indignant. And said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Jesus was indignant. Not at the parents with the rowdy kids. He wasn't upset with them. Jesus was indignant at the disciples for running off the kids and the parents. I heard of a church recently, and they published an event for their, they put together an event for their church. And the event was a a church-wide event. Everybody was invited except... For kids under 12, they said no kids under 12. Everybody else can come, but no kids under 12. They said, you know, the kids are too loud, and they're always running around acting crazy, and so the adults, you know, they can't really talk, and, you know, one of these little kids is going to knock over one of these elderly people and really hurt them, and so we just don't want kids at this event. Friends, if, if you don't let kids be kids at church, then you won't have any kids at church. If you don't, if you don't let kids be kids at church, then you won't have any kids at church. Jesus says, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them. Don't hold them back. Jesus loves the babies, and he wants the babies to be in his presence. And here in this church, because we're trying to be not Jeff's church, not Gerald's church, not Dave's church. We're trying to be Christ's church, and we're going to do things Jesus' way. If Jesus says we want the babies in his presence, then guess what? Our church is going to love seeing babies, and we're going to love seeing kids, even when they're rowdy even when they're running around, even when they're climbing up the walls. We love seeing the kids here. We love seeing the babies here. Parents, if you got a baby and your baby gets fussy, you got three options. The nursery is right back here. It's got a screen on it, you can watch the service. The is right out there, you can take your baby out there, you can walk around, or guess what? You can sit right where you're at. And if your baby fusses a little bit, and cries a little bit, and coos a little bit, and farts a little bit, That happens. We're okay with it. We're okay with babies. Pass a little gas. Adults, we might have a little bit more of a problem (laughs) with that. We love the babies. Jesus loved the babies. Jesus doesn't get upset with the parents of a baby that needs attention. Jesus gets upset with the person that's sitting in the row in front of the baby. When the baby starts making noise, that person turns around and gives the parents a stink eye. Parents, have you ever had that encounter before? That's who Jesus is upset with. Jesus said, don't don't hinder my babies from coming to me. Don't hinder them. Don't make the parents feel bad for bringing their kids to church. Don't do that. That's what Jesus gets upset with. Jesus says, don't stop them. Don't hinder them. Why? Because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. That's what Jesus says. The kingdom belongs to the babies. The babies belong in the kingdom. Now, let's unpack what that means for a second. What does it mean? for the kingdom to belong to the babies. That statement, along with Jesus' next statement, seems to suggest that these babies, these little children, are held in a special state of grace, such that if the kingdom were to manifest in that moment, these babies would be included in the kingdom. Let me say it another way. Children who die go to heaven. Children who die go to heaven. Let me give you a little bit of evidence biblically for that. You remember this story of King David. He was doing what he ought not be doing. The men were out fighting a war. David stayed home and uh, he got bored and he was on the rooftop there at his palace and he looked across the way and he saw a woman bathing on the roof, which was normal. That was normal in that culture, but he sees this woman. She's beautiful. He says, I want that woman. So he sends his servants to go get this woman. Her name's Bathsheba. Bathsheba comes into his chambers. He sleeps with her, and she gets pregnant. Well, Bathsheba's married, and this is going to be like a scandal. You know, all over uh, National Enquirer, uh, Twitter is going to be all over it. He's going to get canceled, so he's got to do something about it. And so he has, Bathsheba's husband has him killed. He arranges for his murder. And so he kills Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, and Bathsheba gives birth to David's son. Now, this baby is born with an illness. And so David is very concerned about this baby. And he goes into his room, he shuts the door, and he cries, and he weeps, and he fasts, and he prays for days and days and days. Lord, please spare this baby. Please spare my son. I know that this baby is here under nefarious circumstances. I understand that I sinned in having this baby. I know that this was a bad situation, but please spare this baby. And days and days go by, and the baby passes away. Well, the servants, they were scared to tell David. They said, it, 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 when David finds out he's been so upset about this baby, he's been so concerned that this baby was going to die, who knows what he'll do when he finds out that this baby has died. So eventually, somebody finally works up the courage. They go and they talk to David and they say, I'm sorry, but your your son has died. Well, immediately, David gets up from his posture of prayer. He wipes the tears off his face. He showers. He gets, he gets a bath and he starts to eat his food. And his servants are perplexed by this. So, like, so why the sudden change you went from like just on the, ner- or the verge of a nervous breakdown and now you seem fine. What, what makes the change? Look at what David says, Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 22. He answered, while the baby was alive, I fasted and wept because I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let him live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I'll go to him, but he will never return to me. David says, I I can't bring him back to earth. I can't bring him back to earth. He can't come to me, but I will go to him. That's what David's saying. I know that baby's in heaven, and one day I'll see that baby again. Babies, infants, toddlers, little children, if they die, they go to heaven. Why? It's not because they are without sin. This is where people get confused. It's not because they're without sin. Psalm 51.5, indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Because of Adam, the Bible says that if you're born in the flesh, then you are a flesh. If you're born in the spirit, then you're our spirit. That's what Romans teaches us. That's why Jesus says you must be born, what? Again, we are born with the stain of sin on our hearts. Genesis chapter eight, verse 21, the inclination of the human heart is evil from the youth onward. And so these babies that die young, they don't go to heaven because they're without sin. Their sin, when they're born, their sin in their heart. It isn't because they're born in a righteous family. David and Bathsheba, they came together under very sinful circumstances. So this baby didn't go to heaven because it was born into a righteous family. Also consider this. In Topeth, pagans burned their own children uh, alive uh, in worship to a demon named Molech. God pronounces judgment on this people. And he says this in Jeremiah chapter 19, verse 4. They have burned incense in it to other gods that they, their ancestors, and the kings of Judah have never known. They have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. The blood of the innocent. And so this is what God says. He says that these babies who are born to pagan, devil-worshiping, child-sacrificing parents, those babies who die in the fire, sacrifice to Molech, those babies are called innocent. You see, that's why babies, children, little children, that's why they go to heaven. It isn't because they're without sin. It isn't because they're from a righteous family. It is because God declares that they are innocent. God holds children up to a certain age in a special state of grace in which he declares that they are innocent. In other words, he chooses to not hold them accountable for their sin. In heaven, you will meet the baby you miscarried. In heaven, you will see the child who passed away. In heaven you will even meet children who died before they even heard the name Jesus. In heaven, you will meet children who died who were born into a Muslim family, a Buddhist family, a Hindu family. Why? Because Jesus says the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. He's going to save the babies. He's going to save them. He blesses them. He says the kingdom belongs to them. They belong in the kingdom. Now, what does that say about our access to the kingdom of God? Verse 15, truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. So Jesus blesses the little children. He pronounces that the kingdom of God is theirs. It belongs to them and they belong to it. Why did Jesus bless them? Why did he give them the kingdom? What did they do to deserve the blessing? They're little. They're toddlers. They're infants. What do toddlers and infants do? They eat, they sleep, and they poop, right? They don't, there's nothing to offer, right? They can't deserve this kingdom. Maybe it's because their uh, they're family, they were born into this great family, right? Their daddy's a preacher or a banker or somebody special or important. So as a legacy blessing, God invites them. Jesus blesses them. As a legacy blessing, Jesus says the kingdom is yours. But what does Jesus say? He says that the kingdom belongs to such as these. And so in other words, he's he's making a classification of people. And he's saying the people that fall in this group, these little children, all of them, all toddlers, all infants, all children throughout all the world, They belong to the kingdom. The kingdom belongs to them. They're held in a special state of grace and favor. You see, it isn't because of who they are. It isn't because of what they've done. It is solely because of the grace and the mercy of God. Do you know that God receives you in the same exact way? Your access to the Father your acceptance into the kingdom your ability to be blessed by god is not based on who you are it's not based on that it's not based on what family that you are born into whether positively or negatively many people they think well i'm saved because my grandma was saved i'm connected with jesus because my grandma went to church every sunday doesn't work like that folks my granny prayed and prayed for me, but I wasn't saved until I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. Many people, they grow up and they say, well, my daddy was a drug dealer. My mama was an alcoholic. They split up. They got divorced. They abused me. And so this is my lineage. And so this is who I am. No, 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 no. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what family you came from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. People, they come to me and I'll evangelize to them and I'll say, you know, you, you can receive Jesus and you'll be forgiven of your sins and the kingdom will be yours and it'll belong to you and you'll belong to it. And they'll say, no, 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 that's for somebody else, not a, pe- not a person like me, because you don't know, pastor, you don't know what I've done. And this is what I tell them. I say, I, I don't know what you've done, but I do know this. I read of some characters in the Bible. I know exactly what they did. I read about this guy named David who was on a rooftop and he saw this woman he thought was hot and he said, hey, servants, go get her. And then they dragged her to his bedchamber. Some people say he raped her and she got pregnant and then he killed her husband. Have you ever stepped that low? Have you ever went to those steps? You ever killed a man so you could sleep with his wife? You ever done that? No, I haven't done that. Okay, well, you know what God said about David? That's a man after my own heart. It's not about what you've done. Your salvation, your acceptance, your uh, ability to be blessed, your access to the kingdom of God is based solely upon the grace, the mercy, the love, the nature of God, our perfect heavenly father. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what they say or think about you. It doesn't matter what you say or think about yourself. There is a place for you in the kingdom of God. There's just one condition. People want to talk about the unconditional love of God. His forgiveness is, is unconditional with this caveat, you must come to Jesus. What does Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. The Bible says there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. There is no other option. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, there's no condition there. There's no qualification there. Everyone. You know what everyone means in the Greek? Guess what? Everyone. It means even you. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You will be saved. And so this is what we do. It's what Jesus has called us to do. Come to him as a little child. What's that look like? Well, little children, they have a will that is submitted. Like I'm talking about little children. I got some kids that are a little bit bigger, and their will is less submitted. Seems like the older they get, the, isn't that true, parents? The, the older they get, the less their will is submitted. But when they're little bitty, like I got kids, and I'll say, "Well, we're going. We're going to go to um, where's oh, Lowe's. That's the place they hate the most. I'll pick them up from dance lesson, and they're like, "Daddy, where are we going?". I'm like, "We're going to Lowe's. Oh no, please, not Lowe's. I hate Lowe's." And so they'll fight me for like 10 minutes on Lowe's. Now, here in a few months, about nine months, we're going to have a little baby in a, uh, you know, a, what it, the baby carrier, what they call it, car seat? You know, with the handle? I'm getting old, okay. So, and I'm going to say to the baby, I'm going to say, baby, we're going to go to Lowe's. And you know what that baby's going to do? Sit there. I'm not going to have a fight with that baby. Why? Because the baby doesn't have a strong will. It's got a submitted will. The baby just goes wherever the parents take it. Submitted will. Submit it, will. Independent. Babies are dependent, aren't they? Babies are dependent, because, you know, when, when my kids get hungry, uh, especially my, my six-year-old, she doesn't go to the freezer and pull out a frozen pizza and then start the oven up. She doesn't do that. She comes and finds me or her mom, most time her mom, but sometimes me. And they'll definitely get frozen pizza if they come to me, but they can't. that's how babies are. You know, a little baby is just going to cry for mama. That's the only way a little baby's going to eat, right? Dependent. We live in a culture that tells us to what? Be independent. Isn't that what our culture keeps telling us all the time? You got to be strong. You got to do it yourself. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps. So on and so forth. Put one foot in front of the other. And this is what the Bible keeps telling me. That's good. Personal responsibility is good. Bible preaches that. But this is what we forget. The Bible is calling us to be dependent on God. Be dependent on God. We, t- we get too dependent. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen a baby change its own diaper? If you ever see a baby change its own diaper, you need to tell that parent, potty train that child, right? It is past time. <laughs> Babies don't change their own diaper, but this is what we try and do because we're so, we're so independent. We have problems in our life. We've got sin in our life. We've got struggles in our life. You know what we try and do? We try and change our own diaper. God set back. You know, I got this. I got this. I'm going to clean myself up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix this situation. You know what we need to do, folks? We need to get on our knees. When we get into struggle, when we get into sin, when we have trouble, and we got to say, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. I need you. Holy Spirit, if you don't fix this, it won't be fixed. Please, Lord, I'm dependent on you. We're too independent. And that's why many of you, you still got sin in your life. That's why many of you are still so stressed out all the time is because you are trying to change your own diaper. You are trying to fix yourself. You are trying to clean yourself up. No, Holy Spirit, I need you to clean me up. Holy Spirit, I need you to fix me. I can't change my heart. Only you can do that. Dependent. Dependent. A, a will that's submitted. A will that doesn't say, okay, God, I know what I should do, but how many conversations I've had with people, how many times I've counseled people, and we talk about the scriptures. What does God say? That's why we stand at the beginning of every service when we read, because we believe these aren't just like words in a book. These are God's words. So we stand in honor of them. It's like standing for the pledge. There's something, you know, you do that in honor of it. This is like an important moment. And so we read the scriptures, and these are God's words. And so I open the Bible who people are confused about their life. And they're about to make a bad decision. They're about to make a sinful decision. I'm like, well, what does the Bible say? And they say, Jeff, I know. I know what I should do, but that's not a submitted will. That's not a submitted will. That's not a will that's dependent on God. That's not a will that trusts God. You see, we've got to have a will that's submitted. We've got to be dependent, and we've got to trust God. We've got to trust God. Uh, sometimes, like you, some of you, you got babies, and I try and hold your babies because I like holding babies for a few minutes until they start getting squirmy and cry on me. And so I'll reach out for your babies sometimes, and this is what babies do. They lean away from me. And they lean into mom, which makes sense because I'm kind of weird looking. I get it. That makes sense. But we trust the babies. They trust the parents, don't they? They learn. They learn. I, gotta, I'm, I, trust. I know this person is going to take care of me. My girls, when I say, okay, let's go to Lowe's, after we have the argument, finally they get in the truck and they go. I don't have to fight them too long because they know I'm not going to get in the truck and then drive off a cliff, right? I'm going to lead them someplace halfway decent. Then maybe they'll get some McDonald's out of the deal, we're heading in a good direction, and so there's trust there. There's trust. We've got to learn to trust God. We trust all other voices in the world, don't we? All other voices, it seems like we listen to those voices more than we listen to God. You can't, you can't trust everything that you hear on the news. You know that, right? You, if you read something on Facebook, you better look at that with a little bit of suspicion. You can't trust everything on Facebook. Uh, you can't always trust everything your doctor says. Sometimes you need a second opinion. How many of you are learning that? You can't trust everything the government says. Amen? You can't trust it. You can't trust it. But this is the voice that we can trust. Look, this is what we can trust right here. This is what we can trust. His word never changes, it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's trustworthy and true forever and ever and ever. You can depend on this. It is not gonna steer you wrong. And so we gotta trust the Lord. Abraham or God came to Abraham and he said, Abraham wants you to I want you to go to the place that I'll show you. And this is what we do. We say, Okay, God, I mean, I'll go, but can you give me uh, GPS coordinates? I'm on putting Google Maps, because Google Maps will get me there. Can we also have a timeline? Because that'd be good too. And then could you give me like a budget of like the resources. I just want it all spelled out before we we start on the journey. Abraham didn't do that. Abraham got all of his people together. He got all his supplies together. He said, okay, let's go. He had no final destination. It was told to him by God. He just stepped out in faith. Look at what Romans chapter four says about Abraham. It's not on the screen. This is why you should bring your Bibles to church. What then will we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, is found. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. In the same way that God declares the babies innocent, God declared Abraham righteous. Why? Because Abraham trusted God. Now, this is, this is how Christians, this is how they think about faith. And this is the wrong way to think about faith. People that claim to be Christians, so many, they say, I'm a Christian because I believe that God exists. I believe that there was a Jesus. I believe those things. That's not what faith is. The Bible says even the demons believe all that and they tremble. It does not save them. When the Bible talks about faith, what it means is it, it means that you trust, you live as if what God says is true. You trust God enough to live your life in agreement with his word. That's what faith is. It's that you believe God, where he says, go to the place that I'll show you and say, okay, God, I don't need GPS coordinates. I don't need a timeline. I don't need a budget. I'll just go. You're sitting in a chair right now. When you got in here, you looked at that chair. You said, I wonder if that's going to hold me. You know, I put on some baby weight, so I'm not sure. Sympathy baby weight. That's what I've done. But then, but that wasn't faith. When you looked at the chair and you said, yeah, it'll hold me. That wasn't faith yet. It's not faith until you actually put the weight of your, of your body into that chair. And that's what faith is. Faith is putting the weight of your life in God's hands. That's what faith is. And so we've got to have that kind of faith, knowing, okay, I can't change my own di- diaper. I can't, I can't fix myself. I can't, uh, you know, take care. This is, we're, so, we're so independent. We're so independent, and we say, God, I'll call you when I need you. I'll call you when I need you. If I get into trouble, if it, if it gets to be too much, then I'll... No, friends, understand, every day is a gift from God. Every day. You got up today. You opened your eyes today. You had the energy to roll up out of the bed today. Your lungs and your heart and your mind function enough for you today. You got in your car today and started the ignition and it didn't explode on you today. You drove across town dealing with all the knuckleheads in Winchester and you didn't run over anybody just haphazardly walking across the road. All by the grace of God. Every step is a gift from God. Every breath is a gift from God. Every moment is a gift from God. We are totally dependent on him. That's how we come. It's with that kind of heart, a heart that's dependent, a heart that trusts, a heart that that has a, a will submitted because you cannot do enough, you cannot be enough to earn the kingdom of God. You can't. So in God's eyes, from a spiritual perspective, all we have to offer, eat, sleep, and poop, that's why we're just like a baby from a spiritual perspective. That's all we, we can't add anything to our salvation. And so we come to God and we say, God, I just need you to save me. I just need you to fix me. I'm trusting you to lead me. I've submitted my will to you. That's how we come to him. And this is what Jesus says. You come to me. I will embrace you and I will bless you. You come to me with that heart. I will embrace you and I will bless you. Because here, here's the truth. Access to the kingdom is not something you can earn. It is a gift that is received from Christ as our King. And so let's all stand together today. We're going to sing a song of invitation. And I just wonder today, are you feeling far from God? Do you feel unworthy? Are you trying to fix your life under your own strength? Well, Jesus has given you permission to come to him just as you are. That's the thing about a baby. A baby will come to you, snot running out his nose, dirty diaper, dragging the floor. That's how it just comes. I'm in need. I'm in need. Parent, please help me. That's how we come to our Father in heaven. You You got stuff in your life that is just weighing you down. The Lord already knows about it. You don't have to hide it. And he says, you can come just as you are. Let the little children come to me. So come to Jesus. Put your life in his hands and he will bless you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us the way you do. You are our perfect heavenly father. And we're undeserving of that, Lord. We've rebelled against you. We've had sin in our heart since the moment we were conceived. We're, we're Adam's sons and daughters. That's who we are by nature, by birth. Uh, we're born with it. And so by nature, Lord, we run away from you. By nature, we rebel against you. And you just chase us down. You chase us down. And you, you wrap us up and you bring us into your home. And you invite us in and you bless us and you provide for us and you protect us. And so, Lord, we are overwhelmed by that today. I pray, God, that you'll help us to see just how much you've given up to adopt us into your family and that we'll respond appropriately. Lord, that we'll submit our will, that we'll become dependent, that we'll trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing this song of invitation. If you need prayer, please come to the altar. Let one of our prayer warriors pray over you. If you haven't already taken communion, I'd encourage you to do that. The Bible says that in Ephesians chapter four, it says, before the foundation of the earth god predestined you for adoption into his family so what that means is before you did anything good or bad god decided that you were going to be part of his family now the good news about that is you did not earn your place in god's kingdom you never earned it it's always been a gift and because you've never earned it you can't unearn it you never earned it to begin with so you can't unearn it jesus says that my children will not be plucked from my hands by the enemy. He's got you in his arms. He wants to bless you. And he's holding you tight. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God. And so as you take communion today, as you sing this song today, I pray that that hits you. I pray that cuts you to the heart. And I pray that you live in the truth of that reality, that you live in light of that reality, that you'll submit your will, that you'll trust him, that you'll be dependent on him. So come as we sing.